Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a very special guest for you today. He is a legendary sumo wrestler and the first foreign-born sumo wrestler to achieve Ozeki. Welcome to the show, the legendary Konishiki. Hello, sir. Good morning from Japan, Fukushima. Fukushima. Oh, man. I'm a super big fan of yours. And I follow your career and everything you've done since, you know, obviously with the entertainment side of things. Also, your social media. By the way, loving the hairdos. <laughs> yeah, man. It's something that I do with my friends that... They always laugh at me because I just do it for the fun of it. That's what it's all about, man. So people listen to this. Some people obviously listen for jujitsu and all other styles of martial arts, including sumo. Mm. So some people may not know your origin story, so to speak. You're originally mm. from Hawaii, Halu, Hawaii. Yes. And it was a very interesting start to your career. You were about 18 years old, I believe, on the beach. And you got discovered by someone who was an idol of yours. Can you go into that? Well, you know... Um, when I was growing up, I didn't have any knowledge of sumo, but I think it was the last week of graduation. I was at the beach and stuff, so a guy who was very famous wrestling, what they have today, he was called the king. Yeah, okay, he's the one that approached me because he's like a, a legend in pro wrestling too. He kind of talked to me and said, hey, you should go to sumo. You look like one of those grand champions that, and I even know nothing about sumo, so... I kept on just listening to him, and I wasn't really serious. I just, you know, Hawaii culture is if an old man tell you to sit down and talk, you have to sit down, you know. That's our culture in Hawaii. So he kept me out of the water, man, for like the days we went there, man. Really? He didn't have a chance to even go in the water. Yeah, because he was actually at the beach every day because he had a boogie board stand. Yeah, yeah, he's super famous. Everybody knows him in Hawaii, Curtis Tabu. Yeah, and kind of go into that, because I believe, yeah, you're kind of taking a little day off school or something like that. And, yeah, uh, yeah, cutting class, cutting class. <laughs> See, yeah. it goes somewhere sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's things in society that are going to help you that you don't know, you know. You know, and also, you're full-blooded Samoan. Yes, sir. Born and raised in Hawaii. You know, you have just an amazing side of culture to that alone. Let Obviously, going to, you know, the culture shock of going to Japan initially. Mm. Can you go into a little bit of your Samoan heritage and how that led towards this path a little bit for you? Well, for me, no one in my circles knew anything about sumo. Even my parents, they kind of were surprised because I didn't tell my parents before. A week before I left, I told my parents I was going to Japan. <laughs> oh, no. I, I hit it. I got my visa to go to Japan. And and I just told my mom, I'm going to Japan next week. And mom just started yelling at me. <laughs> <laughs> what the, where the hell is Japan? I thought, I don't know. I'm going to find out. What the hell are you going to Japan for? I'm going to do sumo. What the hell is sumo? I, thought, I don't know. I'm going to find out when I go. <laughs> I'm the youngest of the boys. We have 10 kids in the family. Wow. I have a sister who's younger than me. But I was like the last boy that mom didn't want me and my baby sister to leave the island because everybody left to go to school and live in the mainland. And, but, you know, she never thought that I would end up going to Japan, but I just told him, I got to go. Maybe something that might be good, you know, just got to take the opportunity. And that was the other thing too. You're going to a place not only never been to before or whatnot, but the language and like I said, the culture shock. When you first arrived in Japan, what was that experience like for you? Well, the thing is, people don't understand. Sumo and Japan is two different topics, two different cultures. Sumo culture is so different from Japanese culture, because sumo has its own language, has its own, oh. it's very strict. It's like, kind of like military, but not like military, because military, you kind of go home and stuff, you have time on your own. 
but not in sumo. Once you join sumo, you have the commitment is 100%. And that's the difference is because only in Japan you have professional sumo, which is a sumo association. And their ways of doing things, once you join, you cannot be doing anything outside of sumo. And your life wow. is sumo, 365 days. That's amazing. Yeah, it's not like you just go in and it's a weekend warrior thing. <laughs> it's no, that's yeah, your yeah. life. That's your life. Yeah, it's, it's not like going to the gym, take your gym bag and go shower, go back home. It's You live the life. So, you know, the sport itself, I think a lot of people can handle the practicing and body stretching and the hitting and it comes with the territory. But the lifestyle that we have to carry, the responsibilities of being a sumotori off the ring is the most scary thing about it because... They don't give a shit how good you are. Wow. Yeah, because when you step out of hand, they just kick you out. They don't care. Wow. And, you know, it's, and, and that's the unique thing about it. It's scary. So us who survive it, but we have a lot of partners, a lot of guys that we did sumo that they screwed up once and, you know, you just lost your whole career. Oh, and it's, it's been proven. Grand champions been get kicked out. You know, champions been kicked out. Because it's a culture that you have to, protect in their eyes, meaning when we walk the streets, we're actually representing in Japan at the same time, because we're like under the government's watch. It's like a nonprofit kind of thing where we- Interesting. We, yeah, so it's not dealt like uh, an NFL or, or NBA or major league. So everything comes from the government and that's why they're so strict about it. Wow, that's so amazing. You kind of, in a nutshell, tell me, what was your first year like when you got training? Well, you know, not knowing the language was something that I always say is probably the best thing I had was not knowing anything about what I was putting myself in. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't speak the language. So I could just only kind of follow and duplicate what people are doing and try to follow whatever they're doing because the language barrier was a huge wall for me and stuff. But similar, when you join at the beginning, you're not allowed to talk anyway. It's like, <laughs> shut up and work, you know? <laughs> That's great. Very yeah, little. Because it's, everything is about seniority. Everything is about seniority until you break it to the top. So the good thing for me, when I joined, I was 18, but there are guys who joined before me who was 15. So they had authority over me, you know? Wow. There's some things that happened to me at the age, but I couldn't fight back because, like, you know, you just have to take it and walk away and... And hopefully that practice comes, you get to kill them in practice. That's the only place. <laughs> to be honest with you, that's what motivated me and kept me really fired up through whole my first two, three years, man, because some guys treated me like shit, man. And then, wow. you know, and then I understood the rules. And I'm the only guy there. So if I did anything kind of stupid, I know I would get mobbed from all of them, you know. My only thing was just every morning I would be so freaking fired up. Before anybody get up, I would be like up 3.30 in the morning, downstairs training. By the time people get in, I break a sweat. And then I just wanted to kill people, man. Oh, Legally. Man. You're getting me fired up. I'm ready to train right now. <laughs> well, you got you to gotta find some kind of motivation. And to me, naturally, because, you know, I'm a background Samoan, you know, and I knew I couldn't go back to Hawaii because of the decisions I made on my own. I, my parents was yeah. against me. I'm this 18-year-old kid who don't know shit. He says, goes and I'm going to Japan. And then he has nothing. He goes to Japan with this freaking bag on his shoulder with no <laughs> suitcase. I have an album, picture album of my family. I got my Bible. I got my slacks. You know, and then I just left. I just, and then so 
the pressure I put on myself is uh, probably helped me too because I couldn't go back if I didn't do any good, you know. Yeah, but then you put that on yourself at such a young age, you know. And going in, kind of being spot on the beach, kind of had good size to you for the sport or the art itself. What people may not know, Konishiki Yasukichi, you kind of named after this of yes, the, yes, of yes, the yes. original, correct? Yeah, he's a 17 grand champion that came out of my school, Takasago Bell. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm the only number six Konishiki that has the name Konishiki, but Konishiki. It's a very important name to the Takasago stable, the school that where Ashashori is from. Because Ashashori is, 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 is from my stable. Oh, okay. So my boss was a grand champion in Osashio. So there's three names that we originally is from our stable that no one can use. It's Konishiki, Asashio, and this name called Takamiyama. Takamiyama is the, actually the real pioneer of all the foreigners. He was Jesse Kualo. He's the one that joined Sumo in 1961, yes. Wow. So here's, he's the one who up the door. <laughs> Yeah, he got some shoes to fill here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, you know, I always say, man, he's the one that kind of opened up the doors, you know, because before him and after him, nobody really made it until I came into the picture. Foreigners that came to, they never make it. So a lot of them, it's not the practice, just couldn't handle the life. The life of it. Yeah. Like I said, there's no you time, man. Everything is dedicated to sumo, the way you dress, the way you go. The way you carry yourself in public, if you go out public and do something stupid and the work gets back to the stable, as long as it doesn't get into the media, they will beat you up at the stable, bro. Wow. <laughs> I wanted to ask you this too, because there's some great documentaries. By the way, I do want to bring up, because you do have, I believe, a book in the works. Super excited yeah. about that. And yeah. also, I would love to see more documentaries on you as well. But there's a show on Netflix called Sanctuary. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was phenomenal. I've always followed Sumo, but... You get more of the other storytelling, of course, but the art, more of the art and the ritual of it, slapping the belt, throwing the salt. Yeah. Uh, there's so much. What do you think of that show? Well done. I think I enjoyed it. Very entertaining at the same time. They got some pieces that like, I could understand, you know, and but it's the way they put the script together. I think they did their homework. They kind of hmm. mix um, reality and what media would talk about and stuff and, and put it in a place where... Because it's tradition, they do that, you know. I think it turned out really well. And there's some parts in there that I think it comes from my story when I joined Sumo and stuff. So, like the part, you remember the part where the kid came home and somebody threw away all his food from his parents, his mom? Oh, yes. Well, same thing happened to me. I used to keep all my letters and I used to read it over and over before the internet came. And I used to read it every day, every day. It would come home and that's the only thing I would constantly read, my same letters from my friends, my mom my friend's parents and stuff and i came home one day and the thing was all gone then they threw it in a rubbish and it was so i was so sad i ran into the garbage can stopped looking for it couldn't find it and you know so when i saw that that wow that's kind of so i think they've been picking up pieces from people who had stories that they put it into the script kind of and that's like your link home too yeah you said there's no internet there's no <laughs> yeah my letters was everything to me. I used to read it over and over and over. You know, I used to kind of read myself to sleep every day, you know. And I felt like that show, I bring it up because it's new and it did a good job, but I feel like that kind of showed you the stable lifestyle. Mm. Uh, obviously, there's getting your ass kicked and <laughs> things like that, but is there like a brotherhood to it because you're training together? What's that like? Well, well, like everything else, there is a one big family, but within that yeah. family, you have your a-holes and your... Good brothers who take care of you and stuff like that. My stable had 40-something guys, and 
a lot of them really treated me like shit, you know, and then because the outsider co- thing, not only that, they always treat the newcomers like authority. Oh. They have authority to tell us whatever they want to do, you know. Step on you, my my first money to sumo, I already got a beer bottle over my head. And, you know, and then you cannot do nothing but to say thank you and walk away. And I just look down and tell, brother, I'm killing you tomorrow at practice, you know. Well, that's awesome. But the motivation was all that because I came every day. I didn't have, I didn't need anybody to motivate me. I was like always so freaking hot up. Like my body was like, even in the cold, man, I was so ready about practice and stuff. And he helped me because, and I was just learning. In high school, I was a powerlifter. Yeah. I had power, and I could run for a big boy. So I had speed for my weight, and um, I was like benching like 500 pounds when I was in high school. I squatted over yeah. 600, you know. So the power, I just needed how to learn how to take advantage of using the power in sumo because it's not all power. Yeah, people think it's just, and- yeah the technique because I'm a big guy, and I have to wrestle guys who's three, four times smaller than me, and and that's the guys I cannot handle. Somebody like you would freaking give me a problem because you come with all these different techniques and you kind right. of beat me and then kick me or pull my hand or twist my elbow or whatever, you know. So that's the unique thing about sumo. People on this tour, I had to explain that and people like were freaking out because we did have a few small guys on the tour. And that's to show them in amateur sumo, they have weight classes, but professional sumo, we don't. Some of the grand champions are actually small guys. One of the ones that I really dig was um, Chiono Fuji. He was called the Wolf. And then his other kid, he was younger than me, Wakano Hana, small, but freaking, you should see his sumo. His, his feet were so like, like magnet to the rope. Once you get to the rope, you can see his leg muscles, his gluteus maxes and muscles. <laughs> I didn't see muscles like, and then he catches and that's where he makes a twist or he counters oh. really well. And his sumo is so good technique wise. It always blows my mind, too, when you guys get to the ends of the ring like that. I'm like, how are they not falling right out? See, and that's the thing. You got to remember now. You got keto, you got jiu-jitsu, you got wrestling. All these other sports, you can fight until you on the floor, too, right? Mm-hmm. Sumo, you have to stay off the floor as much as you yeah, can. You're right. I see a lot of wrestling, like Mongolian has wrestling, Korea has oh, wrestling. Oh. Yeah, even Nigeria. Yeah, so if you look at it, they all have wrestling moves, and they can go to the ground. Sumo is the only one that, other than the bottom of your feet, you cannot touch the ground. So yeah. that's why the balance is so important, you know? It's so huge. I believe it was 1984, Makuchi yeah. Division, you defeated two Yokozuna. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. out the gate, make you kind of go into what that's like. Yeah. I mean, you came out with force, brother. And that's where this whole Konishiki monster man it just happened man but you know but like i said i was so focused i think you know like i said guys in the state used to treat me so shitty that they made me better you know so actually i stayed hold the record for the fascists now you, you're dealing with somebody who had no experience that came from the bottom of sumo and went to julia which is julia right below makunuchi's top ranks at eight tournaments yeah then four tournaments later i already was a junior champion and and the 11th tournament was the one that I, I beat the two Yokozunas. I almost won the tournament, too. Wow. I think if I won, I was one away, man. And, you know, that that tournament was so funny. People don't really want to touch that tournament because I think they did a sly, they did a sly thing on me because I was number six. And the guy who won it was number five. 
And because I was winning so much, they was throwing all the grand champions and the champions to me, even oh. to the last day. You know, I suppose not, they're supposed to challenge each other at the end of like the last three, four days. It's Yokozuna versus Yokozuna, Ozeki champion, and so on. So by the end, they got me wrestling when number six never been done before. You know, oh, man, they stayed away from that story. I wonder why they just, but you know, it's just a great motivation for me. You know, there's nothing yeah. I can do about shit like that, you know. But yeah, I love your attitude, it's an amazing attitude, and you're also known for just being very heartwarming in speech and demeanor. Because, yeah, but what was that like when you get Ozeki? I mean, that was, I don't think anybody understands unless they follow sumo. What was the impact? You're the first non-Japanese born to reach Ozeki above that mm. Yokozuna. That's, that's such a milestone. What was that like, that atmosphere for you? Well, it was a challenge. Now, I felt when they gave me the title, I finally felt accepted. Wow. Wow. Because before that, I had the numbers to become one a year before that, but they didn't give it to me. Which, you know, like, again, you know, I, something I couldn't do. I just told myself, there's nothing in I couldn't coach. I learned at a very young age, bro, don't try to fight something you don't have authority to do anything about it, you know? Stay within your reach. And so, yeah, a lot of things happened in my career that I kind of accepted because, you know, I'm the first one to hit the wall. So, <laughs> obviously... Obviously, people wasn't liking what is going on. It's the tradition. It's their number one culture sport, you know. Wow. And I'm going to show a quick little video clip here, which you could talk over, and i like you to. Again, mindset, competition. There's all this ceremony, and then all, you feel the tension. Both guys' hands go down. Boom. And the power of Konishiki. Mm. Go ahead. Go into what's going through your mind when you do these competitions. Well, when I was on my game, I told myself, you know how people, like, kind of go and study your opponents. Yeah. I would never study my opponents because I believe if I can get my sumo in, there's nobody can beat me. You know, I was a very offensive type of sumo tori. Oh, yeah. I didn't know how to counter because of, you know, I have experience. This guy's been doing sumo since they were five years old. This is Ono oh, Kuni wow. and stuff. He's one of the strongest guys. I had an easier time with bigger guys because it was against power against power, right? Right. The smaller right. guys was the one that had, and, you know, I had strong arms. I was still like crazy strong. One of these tournaments, I remember they're doing a documentary of me, and they were saying, like, everybody they hit you with their hands, but Kunishi feel like he's kicking you with his hands. <laughs> that's uh, that's yeah. pretty amazing, man. Later in your career, you start getting some knee issues, and that yeah, started that having cool. a big part to play, like you said, with the smaller guys getting uh, trickier. Well, you know what? The thing was, right before I made Ozeki, I actually bust my knee, and then I came back and became an Ozeki. Oh, that was and, so you overcame that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. There's a sumo that I did with this guy. It's another big, uh, it was a rematch. And obviously, they go back and look at it. The guy, he lost the first match that we played. And I caught him up in the air. And I left him up on one side of my, and then I think my knee buckled inside and just like ripped inside. And, you know, and that's when I came back. I came back, then I made Osaki. So, you know, as my body changes and injuries was getting worse because now I have to cover. Got to use more of my left leg. And I actually bust my left shoulder just into the second year of my career. Like, I still kind of lift my arm. And I, I wrestled oh, with a bad man. shoulder all my whole career. Oh, that's crazy. But yeah, you have to obviously adjust to that to keep yeah, yeah. going. And and then, you know, the only thing I really started studying is taking advantage of my big body because just staying square now, before, yeah. I used to, like, attack. 
I take two, two one, two step is what I kind of change. So if I can get my right hand onto one of the belts, most of the time I can do anything from my right side. They're just done. <laughs> yeah, but and but you can see everybody study each other, so you can see them running to my left all the time. Yeah, I'm gonna put this up too because your highest was like six. 30 right around 630 pounds. my heaviest my heaviest yeah man. this is like i wouldn't want to stand in front of this guy so <laughs> just uh, the power and some people you know obviously you know they think of sumo the training the techniques balance things like that but also people that listen to this also like to listen to training so like let's say you're in your prime you're in competition mode what's an average week of training like for you we do a lot of calisthenics or stretching basically we do a lot of squats sumo squats sumo squats is the most important exercise Mm. And hamstrings, stretching our hamstrings. And we prevent injuries because we do a lot of squats, sumo squats, body squats, where we lift our leg up. And we all can do the splits. So the splits actually help us break our bodies in. And that's where you prevent injuries because sumo's all year round. After the tournament, we have like five days off. We prepare for a tour and we're gone. We go to on the tour. And that's when we practice with each other, with the other top wrestlers, sumo tori. When we go on tours and stuff. Interesting. And I can't overlook this fact either. At your peak weight in pounds is about 628. You were the heaviest sumo in history up to that point. Yeah. That didn't really get broken until what, 2017? Yeah, I had these rushing teeth, I think. You don't have to go into that actual diet, but keep going mm. just like the caloric intake. What were like, that's a lot to take in a day, like calorie diet. For me, you know, I'm a Samoan and my blood mm. and my naturally i was just getting bigger you know i wasn't a big eater but there's a lot of guys that joined that we have to kind of force feed them to gain weight yeah and stuff and we only eat two meals a day sumo sumo because oh, we that. practice all morning you know when i just joined the whole practices in the morning was started at five and stuff and so you just go right into 11 30. yeah you're not allowed to swallow anything even water wow. and then that is our whole life right there the only thing that changes is we go into tournaments and we train in the morning before we go to tournaments. And the little break that we take right after the tournaments, if we're outside of Tokyo, because we have three major tournaments in Tokyo and one in Osaka, Nagoya, and Fukuoka, we have to travel back. The guys that travel back and the guys like us, the top ranks, have to travel on the road to go to the outskirts of uh, Japan to do exhibitions in other cities and so So very busy uh, lifestyle. You don't have a life, man. Your life is sumo, period. And after retirement, of course, you started losing weight. But 2007, went back to Hawaii, and about 2008, you had like a gastric bypass. Yeah, yeah. It, well, you know, I got to a point because even as big as I was, you know, it's not normal for somebody at my, my size to move around, you know. Most of the guys that are big like me, they're not even moving. And that weight, I traveled all over the world. So in my mind, tell me, when I look at myself, I like, I don't feel as big as people see me. And that was the biggest problem with me because I could do things at my weight. And I was like, shit, people would be telling me, people, my wife and everybody said, bro, you got to go take it down, man. Cause, and the only way I could do that is actually because I was so busy with work. Because when I left the association, I was like flying all over the world. I was, yeah. you know, and doing documentaries with Japanese TV. So that part of my life, I, I couldn't move. So it didn't come across my mind that, I'm okay, I'm okay. But reality is, bro, you're not getting younger. When I got into the 40s, they just told me, bro, just take a year off. And so I did take a year off. I went home in Hawaii. I stayed in Hawaii. I studied. I went to classes. And I actually lost weight on my own because I could focus on surgery. 
you lose so much to do the surgery. And at the same time, a whole year, I just was dieting and exercising at home and stuff. I like to work out and stuff, you know, just that yeah. my body wasn't the same anymore. My shoulders are bossing, you know, and every time I try to do more, it just hurts me. So yeah, the mentality was hard for me because I can handle pain. Right. Yeah. Because you were otherwise healthy, like heart, lungs, it sounded like. Yeah. I don't, uh, even now, I don't even have um, a diabetic. I don't have cholesterol. The only thing I come is because my background, I think I've been working on my kidneys. So the kidney side, you know, was every Polynesian, their kidney and stuff. So in fact, I just got off the plane and, you know, when my body is like tired and stuff, man, my body just breaks down. And I guess some in the mind too. I remember every time I do something, I, Go through a project and once i like release like oh it's done yeah my body just breaks down man that's crazy man what are you down to now then i'm Walk about up. four four a little over four wow so yeah that 6 30 peak way down to that that's yeah it, so a big difference but you know at the same time when i was big i still had muscle so i kind of lost all the muscle under that oh. big weight you know because everything was so thick and so so that was the crazy part about it. like even I had a, that's the one, the hardest thing I ever had to do is to just freaking go to hospitals. Every time I go to pain, oh. I fight it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. the only guy that people know that freaking, I take um, those cortisone shots between my fingers and I just, just take it, just shoot it. And you know, I'm so crazy. I, I just give me a towel. I used to like, all my boys, all the guys that all my apprentices used to watch me go through all this stuff and i just just give me a towel i bite on it you know do my career i wow. i bust my teeth my teeth was sore i used my remote control my tv wrote but i just stick it in my mouth i bust my teeth you know like that was <laughs> crazy that's crazy. Like, that crazy yeah if i think about it now like jesus christ and that's the wall between me and my mind wow. how to learn to like you know i just wanted to freaking fight the pain no matter what and i want to ask you too it was in 1997, your retirement. You know, I've talked to a lot of other guys, you know, whether it's Olympic level, the elite of whatever you do, in this case, mm. sumo, you spent all this time dedicated and it's such an important thing. It's consumed your life. What is that transition like going from that into retirement and what helped keep you busy and take those energies into something else? Well, the thing is, I had an opportunity to actually open my own stable. But the one thing that I was heavy in my heart is, through my whole career, almost 17 years of my career, I hardly could go home. And my mom couldn't visit me no more because she was on dialysis. Oh. So my goal was, I just said, man, it's enough is enough. They owe me for the best 17 years. I'm just going to dedicate myself to a point where I'm my own boss and I'm going to just, whenever I get to go home, I go home. Like, you know, I went home like four or five times just to visit mom, make sure I spent Christmas with mom because all my whole career, I never spent Christmas, no Thanksgiving. No birthdays, no funerals, you know, I, you know, and that's a sacrifice you got to do that people don't understand. It's a similar stuff. It's, you know, it comes along with the territory. But when you cannot be there for your family oh, and man. you just have to make that choice, you know, I look back and by the time I got home, my mom passed. And you know, she was in the hospital. I never had the opportunity to talk to her, you know, my sister, my brother and, you know, stuff like that. You know, it's just the personal things that it's your blood, you know, so that's the kind of things that you had to fight through and made me better. And I just kind of focused on what they would like me to be or what would they feel if I just worked hard enough to, you know, carry the family name. So Man. that's the part that people don't understand. I don't care about the sumo. That's the easy stuff. You know, I was like ready to, to battle. I wasn't afraid of nothing. But, you know, this stuff that you couldn't control that you wish you were there. And 
So when my career ended, I already knew that I wasn't going to stay. I could have, but that's not important to me no more. I just, I want to coach and stuff like that. But at the same time, I wanted to spend time with her as much as I can. Same with dad too. Dad passed, so. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that. It's a natural thing. We all go through it, right? True, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, my situation is just, I've dedicated too much of my life to sumo. Yeah. And if I just walk away, I just throw away all the hard work I've done. Right. And, you know, so that's the hard choice of it. But, you know, I'm glad I could do the things I've done and help my family out through the years and spend a lot of time with my parents when I retired. So I got into showbiz, opened up my own company, started doing commercials like a commercial fad. I was the number one commercial guy on TV. I was TV every day. What was that like? Or were you kind of just used to the limelight? That's natural for me. I didn't have to study. And people knew because... I used to sing before I came. All the stuff I was doing after my career is stuff I used to do. Oh, music, yeah, music and... Yeah, music. I used to dance. I'm good with people. I like to talk to people and stuff like that. So it wasn't... Nothing I did was fine to me. You know, everything was like, give it to me, I'll do it. And it just went on and stuff, you know. So I'm very blessed to do the things I've done. You know, even even right now at 26, I'm still like, oh, man, I was talking to my friends. Brother... You've been working since you're 18. When are you going to retire? <laughs> so, like they say, bro, when you can't do it, you got to do it while you can. Yeah, that's right. You know? did, did your parents get to see you perform yes. and compete? Mom and dad came out my first judo tournament. And they came to my, then dad came to my, to Japan more than mom. Because she started dialysis, so she couldn't actually move and stuff there. Hmm. Hmm. So it wasn't no brainer. Even if I had a chance to actually be part of the association, I said that's not more important than me going home. You know, spending the rest of mom's and dad's life while they're yeah. around. I want to be part of their life. You know, and through this too, all the sacrifice and dedication and everything you put into it, you became more than a celebrity. Two celebrities. Yeah, it's crazy because all the celebs that come, they all want to see sumo. Yeah. And that last picture was the first time Michael Jackson came. It was eighty four, eighty five? Oh, I think. that's right. Yeah. And that was his first concert. And the other pictures is his last ones that he came. I think it was Dangerous or something. But his security guys, and the guys used to dance with him, friends of mine. Oh. The dancers and stuff. So I've met so much, you know, from NFL players to NBA. Our last celebrity was Stephen Curry last year. So I don't know. There's something about sumo that everybody wants to see. Well, here's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah, Dwayne. Uh... Well, Dwayne, my mom was a big wrestling fan. Dwayne's grandfather is a huge pro wrestling name, you know. Yeah. And he's a hero for all the Samoan people, Peter Maivia. So I remember he coming, and my mom's, one of her bucket lists was to meet The Rock. So I flew in that day to take her to the Blaisdell Center in Hawaii to meet The Rock and stuff. So. And one more here. Champion with champion. That's Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah, even Mike. But the sad thing about it, he's the one he lost. This is for Doug- Douglas. He was. Oh, that's what. Oh no, that's when they have. Well, you feel funny because he invited us to practice, and he like, man, they were just fooling around, man. Like, you know, it seems like they didn't wasn't serious and stuff. Was like everybody playing music. <laughs> that's not a good way to prep, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he was cool. He was cool. Mike was so funny. He couldn't sit on the floor, so he had to lay on his side and eat. When all right. we all sit on the floor when we eat. Yeah. Oh, interesting. You know, there's another side of this too. Obviously, being a bigger guy, traveling and things like that, 
airplane sitting now. And there's a documentary on Andre the Giant even. Yeah, yeah. You can't do normal things because you're not built like normal people in the plane or something. What do you have to do? What's life like? Adjustments, travel and things like that. When you Well, those days when I just retired, they used mm-hmm. to take off the middle of the business classes. And I used to be like a love seat or I'll go in the back and have two seats or three seats to myself or something like that. That photo you just saw, that was Checo. I got a Fair Play World Award at Checo. That's why I went there. So that's the time I was just traveling all over the world. So like I said, even a big person, I was like walking to airports and I would find a way to like, I remember flying Air France. I didn't fit, but my thighs don't fit. My rear end goes in, but the tie hits and it squeezes. So what they did, they put pillows inside where I'm top of the seat and they put a seat belt. And when we got up in the air, they kind of made me a bed on the floor and I just laid on the floor. So, you know, we find a way to adjust and stuff. You know, like I said, for somebody my size, I was getting into those propeller planes that flew up in the mountains and slid on the water. You know, I was doing things like, like I said, somebody my size would never do stuff like that. Yeah, it's such an interesting perspective because, I mean, they do design those like, okay, here's the standard things. Like, this guy's an above average champion here. So my life, I had to, like, understand and where I go and kind of make people aware, like, certain places that, you know, be, be prepared before I come or something. I'll ask them to make sure if they're regular chairs, make sure there's no arms to it. And as long as there's two chairs, I can fit, you know, so stuff like that. It just But other than that, you know, it's not like, ah. I cannot go in and stuff. There's no such thing that I couldn't go. I made it happen, found a way to go in and stuff. So, And the other thing too, you were very successful. You overcame a lot of barriers more ways than one. What would you say are some of the main things that helped you become as successful as you did? I think the main thing is not knowing anything about what I was putting myself in. To understand, you have to swallow and you have to take in everything you can because you don't know nothing about the stuff you should start to do. And I'm glad I didn't know because if I knew, it becomes a distraction because you're going to try to fight something you think is right, but it's not. You know, So to me, not knowing nothing about the culture and not knowing nothing, the language, it helped me because I listened more. And the good thing about the whole thing, like anything else in life, if you don't like it, just beat the shit out of your opponent. I love you know, that. Yeah. No, but it's it's true. You, you know, if you're in sports or you're in business, anything, it's, it's the same same way you have to t- carry yourself because if you don't like what's going on, what can you do about it? What can you do within your reach? So my thing was I couldn't do anything but to kick people's ass. And then when I move up the rank, all these guys who are senior wrestlers to me have to scrub my back now because I'm a high ranker. So I knew how to get out of it and wow. get to a point where they had to so the answers were already there. You just had to get there. And the motivation, like I said, you know, I just listen and and you know, there's nothing you can say back. It's more like quite an effective kind of situation during my career and stuff, you know, just shut up and act like you're not listening, but you're listening, man, you know? Yeah, the whole, like, you're going to learn a culture. They say immerse yourself in a culture. Well, you're a good example. <laughs> yeah, because... Um, one of the greatest advice my dad told me, bro, when you go to Japan, you have to be more Japanese than the Japanese. And it was just true because, you know, you cannot fight a culture. And to be comfortable, you have to kind of accept what's there because who are you to question their culture? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the problem a lot of people in the world deal with today. Just do your work, do what you have to do to get through. 
And when you get to a certain point, you might have more authority. Then you crack down on what you can do. But you don't have authority. You know, you don't have any clout yet. And you're trying to fight something that you know you won't win. It's stupid. When you would walk around as sumo, your name, when you walk around just regular streets of Japan, especially as you're coming up, getting used to fame and things like that, I believe that they look upon you guys above celebrity status. It's a whole other level, correct? Well, the thing is, they don't look at sumo wrestlers as celebrity at all. Because what we go through, a lot of them know the hardship of being a sumo tori. You know, and then, like I said, this at the shows where we're the only people that, we're the only, like, culture sport. I call it culture because it's more a culture to me than a sport, you know. And then we have a special day where the emperor comes and watch every single year. The first of every January tournament. And you, we're the ones that actually, you know, if you think about it, Sumo Toro is like, they're like samurai. You know, they're the one who protected the, the right. emperors those days, right? So, and then the fighting itself, it's, you know that it's a mixture of karate, judo, aikido, you know, boxing with open hand. And so it's a mixture of different martial arts. That's why I said before you was UFC, there was sumo guys, you know? And last year, 2022, it was your 40th anniversary arriving in Japan. Yeah, it was crazy. And we're going through the pandemic and, I always wanted to give something back to the people supporting me. Had a two-day party. Had one VIP party. About three hundred people that came. Then I had another. Just well, all my friends. Because I entertained too. So all my entertaining friends came. Spent the whole day just entertaining each other. And had a bunch of people come. And then this year is another milestone. I'm turning sixty. So it's been a ride. You know, to me, I know a lot of guys who was in sumo. Some of the greats who passed away in sumo. So you know. Being alive, you cannot take for granted, man. You just got to be happy and, and be grateful for what you have and the air you can breathe, man. Yeah, I absolutely love that about you. You're such a positive light. And I also keep going this aspect because you started Konishiki Kids Foundation. You helped underprivileged kids from Hawaii experience Japanese culture. You kind of go into starting that, things like that. Well, when I was retired, getting to retire in 1996 was the first time I brought a group of kids that came from my area. You know, we are like more low-income area. And so I wanted them to experience another country, you know, something that, and I've been doing a lot of like the big, like here in Fukushima 11, 12 years ago when they had the huge tsunami. I was oh, consistently yeah. going six years. I was cooking and cook over like 25,000 meals. And every year I'll pack a four ton truck and I would go and give gifts to the kids, you know. So I like to give back. And for me to be able to do stuff like that, you got to do your work because, you know, People thought, what do you do? well, it makes me feel good. And not only that, I was always taught giving is feel better than accepting stuff, you know? So, you know, it's been my life. And that's why this sumo and sushi thing, I told myself, well, turning 60 and stuff. So I have to give back to Japan in a way I'd be remembered of because everybody's going to remember as a sumo. So while I still can get around and stuff, I wanted to actually go and educate people about the sumo culture. Because a lot of people still kind of stereotype. You, you can feel... Something in the crowd, people laughing like they're just like big guys and stuff. But when I start, you can tell the different, the mood of the whole crowd changes at the end because I talk about how our lives are. And I would say, well, somebody like Michael Jordan or LeBron or Tiger Woods, you ever get in trouble, they kick you out. They don't care You're because right. it's not about likes. It's not about branding yourself. There's no brand, period. Right. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> So it's not American. So people have a hard time thinking, how come? Why this? And, well, that's what makes it unique because you have to be at the best, not as an athlete, but physical, mentally, 
And as a human being, as a man, you have yeah. to be the best you can be in, in society. That's what we represent. It's not really the sumo. We train, you can get there. But learning how to deal with distractions and people who can try to get you to situation where, you know, a human being only need three seconds to snap. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you also, you know, towards the end of the career, it seems like the audience liked you even more not just beating the guys, but you were working through that and representing, like you just said, society. Yeah, well, the thing is, the respect that you carry on and off the ring is important. It's funny because when I start off the show, they don't even say a sound because that's how it should be. You know, for us to bow every four corners and be grateful for the opportunity and having thanking everybody for having us first is a Japanese thing, you know what I mean? Like, right after nationality, yeah! You know, it's... It's nothing American about it. So I'm not trying to make it American. I'm just trying to make it see that this is a culture that it's different from what you guys do. I'm just trying to let you guys know this is how it is, you know. Yeah. And you can tell the change of how people look at it. The reaction, the response is unreal, man. People are like, man, we're so glad I came. We learned something about it. You know, and, and that's the stereotype that I, you know, you're going to deal with it no matter what. But at least I can say if we can duplicate it over and over and over, someday it's going to be in. And you can tell because a lot of foreigners, a lot of tourists come to Japan just for watch sumo now. It's like yeah. crazy. The last tournament is sold out like crazy. It's amazing. And that's such a rich culture of its own. You do have a book coming up. You kind of go into that and the release and things like that. Yeah, well, hopefully we can release it by the year or maybe next year. I've taken the time to really look in it and stuff. Well, like we talked earlier, what the hell this 18-year-old kid was thinking? You know? <laughs> That's crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, so I was trying to track back to what the hell made me think that way. You know, because I just came and like knowing nothing, having no money, I just came with what shoulder bag. Yeah. Like, you know, I was just trying to track him back. And then the thing I kind of found, people know my career, like how you say, you can go to Wikipedia and see yeah. my accomplishment, but people don't understand how I fought different things behind the scenes with distractions and stuff like that. How do I deal with people like the Netflix drama where you have all these sponsors taking you out, you know, somebody got to suck it up because this guy's talking shit about you. And then because they're giving you envelopes, you have to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah laugh about it. But you deep inside, like you like knock them out, you know? <laughs> yeah. So like stuff like that, I think people has to see what I had to fight through, not on the ring or, it's when I got off the ring, how do I fought with different distractions that yeah. could have stopped me from doing what I was doing, you know? And like yeah. I said, you know, being away from the family is one hard thing. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff I fought through that this book is going to talk about. And then, because I left, I think I lived four cultures. And that's what I'm trying to explain in the book. Because oh. I was born in Hawaii, in an American country. I was brought up as a Samoan kid. My whole culture at home was Samoan too. We weren't allowed to speak English in the house because mom only spoke Samoan. So I grew up speaking my language even though I was born in Hawaii. And then when I came to Japan, I, I, I saw something similar to it. Like I was in sumo, but some of the language I was using in sumo, the Japanese didn't know. So I finally found out, wow, there's two different cultures in Japan, sumo and Japanese culture. So I found many similar things that I had in my Samoan culture that sumo culture had and stuff like that. And then that's what I'm trying to help young people deal with their distractions or deal with decision making and stuff like that and what makes you think that way or what made me think the way i taught you know i'm yeah. so positive nothing budges me you know you can walk up to me and probably say shit to me and i'll just look at you and say i'll just say thank you and i'll walk away you know 
those things. I won't waste my time trying to talk to a donkey. You know what I mean? Right. Which is we, very hard to do. You know, it's very it's hard to very, do. It's very hard. It's very hard. Would that originate either your upbringing with your family or is it you're yes. just kind of born? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it's from my upbringing. My dad was a very strict man and hmm. very great man. All he does is work hard. And my mom was the one that always like my dad. Everybody's always felt taller for my dad because my mom, she's the queen. So if mom says something, Everybody moves. And that's, you know, so funny because everybody would walk up. They all would say the same thing. Like, my sisters would walk up and say, you know what? When I used to drive the car with my father to go to work, I used to say, Dad, Dad, you okay? Mama was yelling at you. Because Dad could handle it. And that's where I, I got this attitude. That's right. Getting yelled at every day. And, like, you just sit there and, okay, 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 okay. In him, he said, the men always have to take all that because we're stronger. In that way. In but, that way. You know, mom was <laughs> mom was wild, I tell you, man. <laughs> so we, we had to make sure mom was good every day because if mom wasn't good, oh I tell you, the whole night was like shit. She wouldn't eat anything we cook. She'd always eat something that my dad would make. She would never eat anything her kids would eat. Good <laughs> for That's so you you knew. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and then I think my dad plays a huge part of the way I am because he would, he's very giving, he's always outgoing and outgoing too much where I come home and he's giving away all my trophies and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, you know, it's all good. That's awesome. So the book, yeah, maybe within the next year or two. Hopefully I can get it out by next year. You know how people write a book and they try to do part two and part three. I'm not into that. I just want to make sure. My message is to how do you deal with your distractions and stuff. And and what I learned from my Samoan culture and my sumo culture in Japan and Hawaii, living in Hawaii, I'm trying to find the great things about it that made me who I am. Because yet, well, my Japanese name is Konishike. My real name is Saliva Atsunoi. And then I had a name called Nishikiro Oyakata for just like half a year when I retired. So stuff like that. How did I separate all these things or how did I use it to build myself to what I am today? Because every segment of my life, culture or sumo culture or Japan or Hawaii has some kind of way to help me to develop who I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's yeah. what I'm trying to figure out in my book and stuff, you know? And is there any other future goals or plans you would like to talk right about? Right now, you know, I noticed that sumo is getting big. Mm. Huge, and um, because the Sumo Association don't accept foreigners, I was trying to find out is how do we find a way to get all these other good foreigners to do Sumo and stuff, you know, like a league or something oh, like that. Interesting. You know? And then that way you can actually, there's guys from all over Europe, Brazil, and they all do Sumo, but, you know, they don't have a professional league. And I would actually do them, like, if possible, if, if they had a league, would I have, like, a tour with all these Sumo greats? But at the same time, it's a lot of work because I need them to understand we cannot get too far away from what the sumo culture is. Right. You know, none of this yelling and cheering and stuff. We got to keep it nice. Tradition and... Um... Tradition. Not super tradition, but, you know, in a way where it's more exciting because the level is, is going to be a little bit different, you know, to them to start learning and stuff. So if the time is right, you know, hopefully somebody will kind of do something like that. I think it's needed right now. Sumo is so big, I... Yeah. During the pandemic, all I did was surf and look like it's growing like every single day, man. And what better guy to push that forward for sure. Is there anything else you want to plug while we're on here? 
No, and you know, I'm just saying, if you guys have time to come to Japan and visit, just look up the Japan Sumo Association so you can plan your trip when there's a tournament here in Tokyo. You know, because January, May, and September, or you want to go to Osaka, there's one. Osaka is one of the hardest places to get tickets. I, I don't mm. advise you to go to Osaka. You're going to have a hard time. That's tough. And maybe Nagoya right now. They have Nagoya tournament within a week or so. And then Fukuoka is down to southern Japan. Beautiful place to be. You know, wow. so I, hopefully everybody can, you too, she can make a trip to Japan to actually see the real deal. You're going to love it, man. Amazing, brother. Yeah. Well, Kanishiki, thank you so much for taking time to do your show, man. It's been an absolute honor. I'm super excited to talk with you, and I'm super excited for everybody else to hear this. Thank you, brother. Good luck with everything, man. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Warrior's Edge podcast. For more great talks and interviews on all things martial arts, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ever in our area, you're welcome to come in and train with us at our academy, Olympus Grappling Arts. Until the next one, keep listening and keep training.